All right, greetings and salutations. Welcome to Tanisha's Reading Corner Podcast. I am your host, Tanisha. Tanisha's Reading Podcast is dedicated to anyone who desires to make reading a daily habit as a form of self-care. To stay updated when a new podcast is uploaded, please subscribe to the channel. In addition, you can find me on Instagram at Tanisha's Reading Corner for many book recommendations and tips and tricks on how to keep reading a daily habit. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome back to Tanisha's Reading Corner. I hope you all have had a good week and I am thankful that you have tuned in to today's episode. I am over the moon excited for this week's episode because it is the first book review of the podcast and it's on the amazing novel, Sweet, Slow, Plenty Rhythm by Laura Royal. Set in 2015 around a jazz musician, Circus Palmer, and the many women in his life. Now, before we continue, I want to let you know there are some spoilers in this episode, so you have not read the book. Please press pause right now, go read it, and come back and enjoy the episode. Alright, let's dive in. This is Laura Warrell's, Warrell's excuse me, debut novel, but she is no stranger to writing. Laura Warrell is a graduate of the Creative Writing Program at the Vermont College of the Fine Arts. Her writings have been published in the Los Angeles Review of Books, Huffington Post, The Rumpus, The Writer, and Post Road Magazine. Now, the title of this novel is very interesting, Sweet, Slow, Plenty Rhythm. And it is clearly defined why it's called that in the book, in the novel's epigraph. Now, the title comes from a quote by Jolly, Jelly Roe Morton that goes, Jazz music needs to be played sweet, slow, with plenty of rhythm. Right after this quote comes a line from Louis Armstrong that goes, the chicks didn't live with that horn. Now both these quotes come together to basically describe Circus's relation, current relationship with women. Basically saying that how it starts off all sweet and romantic, but then once they're done, the romance is over, it's pretty much done. And I will say the story has a rhythm to it that just keeps your attention and makes you want to just keep going from chapter to chapter. I finished this book in like two days. I was just so enwrapped in it and I just kept going back and rereading and getting new things from it. It's like listening to your favorite song and you want to hear the getting to end from the crescendo to the finish. Uh, the story begins in Miami where Circus finds out that his favorite lover and longtime friend Maggie, a drummer, is pregnant with his child, second child. And upon hearing this news, he can't really process it. So he leaves her at the hotel, returns to Boston, where then the story changes. And instead of focusing on him, the novel gives each of the women in his life, whether they are long-term or just a one-night stand, a chapter to tell their stories. The story of the womanizer, it's an age-old tale. Uh, We have the Casanovas, the Don Juans, and many times those stories of the womanizing, of womanizer, gets the main front and all the women in his life get kind of typecast in these kind of you know the bimbos the sex objects or just basically background characters that are easily forgotten that is not the case in this novel these women are multi-dimensional with thoughts dreams careers and it just goes to show that everyone acts a fool for love but everyone has the opportunity to grow from those foolish decisions the dialogue is very just relatable. It's I can hear this type of conversation happening in a bookstore at a coffee shop. And yeah. Stevie Wonder once said about music is that it's a world within itself. It's a language we all understand. 
It gives us an equal opportunity to sing, dance, and clap our hands. Uh, Sir Duke, for those of you who don't know the song. The type of music that moves Circus is jazz. Circus best expresses how he feels through the music that he plays. One of my favorite quotes from the novel actually comes from Maggie, and she explains what music feels like for her when she's playing the drums. Everything is rhythm. Our body is time. The planet, man. It's all moving in beast. You just have to catch. Now, I can really relate to this because jazz music is one genre that I put on when I need to feel at ease. When life stresses me out, I like to light a candle, put on some good jazz station on my Spotify, and just vibe out. Now, it's not as popular as it was when it came out in the roaring 20s, but... I mean, it still moves people to this very day, and it's a genre that has a good hold over Circus Palmer, who's who Cyrus Palmer, that's his real name. His stage name is Circus, and I must say, Circus is an appropriate name for him. His whole life is a circus, really, moving from town to town, or a restless wanderer, searching for the next gig, the next up come up, the next town, and the next woman. He is the definition in the first half of this book, he is the definition of toxic masculinity, masculinity, especially when it comes to communicating with women. Circus once stated in regard to the scars on his back, uh, because that's something that comes up throughout the book, that he's been marred in some way, and that's very obvious in the way that he interacts with the women in his life. Something had to happen to him for him to turn out this way. And one thing that we've learned that he has physical scars on his back and he just says that you know, I'm grown I'm supposed to have scars. I mean it's true we all walk around with scars but it's one thing to have them it's another thing to actually heal from them. And how we learn about how he gets the scars was the end of the book he tells his daughter that his dad had a box of matches and that's a horrifying prospect of what could have happened and the reader is left to wonder about how exactly that doesn't go into detail, but you can draw your own conclusions. Now, going back to how women in the courtship and everything, you know, he's seen flirting with this neighbor, uh, not out of sheer interest, because he just wants to get rid of his daughter for the afternoon so he can focus on completing his album. Uh, also, there's another time with a one-night stand that he blows her off for showing up at a club that he had invited her to attend, but it was the wrong day. His actions clearly show a man who is so emotionally bankrupt that he is unable to fully love anyone but him, and not even himself actually. But the one thing that he does love is music, going back to jazz music. You know, he carries around with him a small metronome that he clicks on to ease himself into a groove. You know, the calming effect that he gets from music uh, is something that we definitely see all throughout the novel. In many parts, he states that music is his haven, uh, but it does burn him that while in the jazz world he's revealed as rock star of the genre, he's never been able to cross over to mainstream success. He desires, like many people, honestly, he desires fame and fortune as a way to uh, deal with his deep insecurities, especially the insecurity he got from the first rejection of his life from a woman he truly loved named Carmen. But he does get his karma in the end. In the end, especially with the two most critical relationships in his life, Maggie and his daughter Coco, he finally understands the pain that he has caused a lot of the women in his life from the rejection of Maggie. Maggie is pregnant with his child, but towards the end she's like, you know what, I'm not a relationship type of person. And that sting that he got from that rejection 
it made him realize, wow, I need to grow and do better. And plus, he's just not on her level anyway. Sorry, but this is truth. And, yeah. she Yeah, Maggie's too much of a free spirit to be tied down to anyone. And that humbles him. And all the love that he missed out on, he then focused on giving towards his relationship with his daughter, Coco. Which is definitely needed because Coco is at that age, she's roughly 15 throughout the book, where a girl really needs her father's love. And love is definitely a theme, a major theme of this book. Real love, true love, but throughout most of the book, a central theme is unrequited love. You know, loving someone who doesn't love you back and not being able to move away from that person. Because the field of fake love is better than none. Ouch. Unrequited love is a hurt that everyone experiences at some point in their life. Young or old, doesn't matter. For some, it starts in the teenage years, like Coco. Coco, who is clearly suffering from abandonment issues and daddy, mommy and daddy issues. I mean, her she's a product of her environment, and her mom is uh, Pia. That's her mom, who is the ex-wife of Circus. Pia is clearly going through some type of mental breakdown, so she's not able to be a present parent, even though she's in the household with her. And her dad's been in and out of her life since she was five, so yeah. You know, you're going into her sexuality at 15, you know, she's got all these issues with her parents, along with emerging hormones. It's a deadly combination. So her first true love interest comes from her language arts teacher, Mr. Rourke. And, you know, she comes with all these scenarios about what their life could be like together, which I think is normal for any teenager. But then her fantasy is shattered when she discovers that he's having an affair with another student. Ew. Another example of this need for attention, desire for love that's not really returned in a healthy way. They're at a beach with some of her friends and she and her cousin come across a group of boys she just met and she's willing to start undressing before them just to get some attention. Now, pause right quick. The goal of the of reading for me is to never judge the characters. But instead, we ask, what is it about their action that really bothers me? And really what bothers me is that how many of you, and just like me, how many of you out there have ever done something stupid or dangerous or just really out of your character in order to get the attention of someone you really liked? Now, Coco's example is very extreme, but I will raise my hand to this. You know, back in college, I used to send out daily texts in a group chat. For which everyone like a happy coffee day or happy International Women's Day or happy this and that or happy Forest Day. All because, you know, not really because I wanted to celebrate those days, although Women's Day is very important, but all because I wanted the guy that I really liked at the time to see it and respond. You know, whenever he responded, my heart would flutter and it was just you no know, cutesy stuff. But when I finally got the courage to express how I felt about him, he calmly told me that, you know, he only saw me as a good friend and was not interested in dating. While well, I appreciated his honesty, you know, he could have been like circus and played with my emotions, but, you know, it's it still hurts. The pain of liking someone who doesn't like you back still hurts. And many people in the world can definitely understand that and see themselves in these characters. Because when it all comes down to all of them, all of us, just all of them, the characters in the book, don't know how to give love because they themselves have never really experienced it. Ugh. 
and known and this is uh, the theme of unrequited love is very present in the relationship between Josephine and Circus. Now Josephine, her name comes up throughout the book. In the very beginning, her name pops up on Circus's cell phone saying, and she's desperate, like, please call me. Why don't you call me back? And he just kind of blows her off. Josephine is a woman who is just desperately in love with Circus. And, you know, so at one point in the novel, towards the end, actually, Circus, Josephine accuses Circus of being neglectful and a selfish lover. And Circus replies, well, you can blame me, but you must like how it feels. Ooh, burn, but it's so true. Circus is a lot of things, but... It is Josephine who spends hours and days fantasizing about him or the idea of him. Circus continues to call her out on this, saying that she doesn't know anything about him. On a personal note, he doesn't know what he she doesn't know what he likes, um, who his daughter is. He doesn't know, and she's never asked about it. It's the idea of him that he never stated that he wanted to be, and it's the idea of him that she's in love with. Truthfully. And it's no wonder why Josephine hit him in the mouth with his trumpet after that remark. But he has a point. I mean, Circus comes off as a womanizer, a liar, a cheat, a deadbeat dad. And at times, it can be incredibly difficult to try and give him the benefit of the doubt. Especially when he leaves Maggie at the hotel after she tells him he's pregnant. I cannot get over that. That was like, wow. And then also, he brings a one-night stand home to the house of his ex-wife and daughter because he was drunk and he didn't want to drive too far. And just the way that he speaks to women in general after he's done getting what he wants, the way that he speaks, and it's like, oof, it's hard. It's hard to stand by him, but I am of the belief that hurt people hurt people. And the only reason why I even continue to read is because soon we will all learn what will happen to him that caused him to be this way, you know. We learn about going back to Carmen, the woman who broke his heart, so that way every woman thereafter, it's been very difficult for him to bond to emotionally. You know, he's expressed that he felt very distant from his own father. So that's going to be difficult as well, too. All right, we're going to take a quick little break right now, do a quick little promotion. Then we'll come right back into the episode, so stay tuned. Ladies of the podcast, did you know that your period is not supposed to hurt? Periods are normal, but the pain should not be. Inflammation occurs naturally on your cycle, but painful periods indicate that the inflammation is higher than it should be. That's where some main supplements come in. Semaine, PMS supplements comes packed with nine superpowered plant extracts and minerals. Semaine will not only help to lower your pain levels, but to also support your body naturally from cycle to cycle. For more information, go to their website at semaine, S-E-M-A-I-N-E, health.com. Also, follow them on Instagram at Semaine Health. Also, listeners of the podcast, when you find a supplement that you like to use, your Como code to Nisha's Reading Corner to get 20% off your first bottle. Again, the promo code to Nisha's Reading Corner to get 20% off your first bottle. Now, let's get back into the episode. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. So let's dive right back in. Now going back to these characters, uh, there's one of the things I really just enjoy about reading this novel is that none of these characters are just the epitome of good or evil. They all have their issue. They all have their problems. So there's no, it's which for me just shows there's really no right or wrong way to do life. And 
how we best grow is that we just grow from the relationships and experiences that we go through. You know, complicated characters make bad decisions, but that makes for good storytelling. You know, I think all of them, really, Maggie, Pia, uh, Circus, Coco, and everyone else, uh, all have the really, at the beginning, have a major character flaw that they just lack a lot of self-awareness. But that's the great thing about stories like this, that it takes you on an arc, and that at the end, really, they all end up in kind of a good place where they all grow up, meet their responsibilities, face the realities of who they are, and based upon who they are, that why they made the decisions and choices that they make, and how they can grow into their best selves. Now, each chapter of the novel is tells the story of tells their story of, from the perspective of the character that is written about. To explain, the very beginning of the novel is called Circus. Circus is part of the story. Then the next chapter is Coco. The next chapter will be Pia, the ex-wife, Coco his daughter. And then another chapter, uh, Maggie, his lifelong friend, lover turned friend. And then Odessa, a newfound love that in the beginning he meets and he feels a connection to, but because he hasn't finished his journey, he can't really pursue anything until towards the end of the novel. And then also Josephine, the desperate lover who pulls a gun out on him because of... Uh, his feelings, his lack of feelings for her, and ends up hitting him in the face with a trumpet, which, ooh, danger. You know, but each of these women, telling their stories from their point of view, teaches Circus, shows Circus all the flaws that are within himself. You know, Circus comes into this really at an age of 40, because that's the age when you start to consider how much time you have left on the earth, you know, you really start to ponder things like, um, am I happy? Did I do all the things that I wanted to do? Did I make someone else happy? And honestly, he's at that space where he's like, I thought I would be further in life than I am. And he's probably feeling like, you know, I'm too old to try to move forward. So how he placates his feelings of inadequacy is that he uses the women's life as a temporary fill to soothe his fragile ego. You know, oftentimes in life, we always say, you know, I'll be happy or I'll be able to relax once I get to you know, X, Y, Z at this point in my life, instead of just enjoying the journey and getting to that point. You know, one thing that a friend of his said is that, you know, it's, it's never too late. You're never too old to try new things or to do something different. You know, after Josephine you know, injures him with his trumpet, he's badly injured, his bones are broken, and he's unable to play his trumpet anymore. And while that scene is very unsettling, but it also screams of the loneliness and desperation that Josephine uh, feels, you know, when she pulls a gun out on him. But it just further emphasizes the level of self-hatred and anger that Circus feels about himself. But, you know, going back, and also during this time as well, you know, he's injured by one of his lovers, but at the time, Nopia is his wife who's dealing with a lot of mental health issues, goes missing, and now he has to step up and play the role of dad to his daughter that he abandoned for most of her life. And so there's a lot with that. Well, you know, Coco has a lot of resentment towards him, like, you weren't there. But it's truly through his relationship with his daughter Coco that we get to see the most growth in his character. Now, I will say, Coco at first read, she incredibly irked my spirit because she's just so immature and drab. And But then again, I had to remind myself how I was at that age, you know, 15. 
And she's also, like I said, a product of her environment, an absentee father, an emotionally um, depressed mother. It's no wonder that she looks for validation in the boy she's growing up with. But her evolution is also a true one that I like. I like both their characters. Circus and Coco are two of my favorite characters. It shows her growing from an immature teenager to a capable young woman. While Circus starts the book, it is Coco who has the outro. The most unlikable character I will... But the most unlikable character who, you know, you grow to have some sympathy for has to go to Pia. Pia is a woman who's just so lost and lacking of self-awareness that neglects her duties as a mother that after Circus leaves her, she just completely falls apart. But when you start to unpack her story too, you meet her mother, Joan, who is just so critical of everything that she does. It's no wonder why she turned out the way that she did. And in one part, you know, she just throws her hands in the air and says, I've had enough, and just runs off. Everyone's trying to call her and figure out, where are you? And your daughter needs you. And she's like, I can't be the mother for her. Yeah. Pia, uh, yeah, up and leaves for parts unknown. And while that is a incredibly selfish act, she's dealing with a lot of issues of unrequited love that stems from childhood, you know. And it's no wonder she goes through these spells of depression. But one must look at the bravery that that takes to realize that she cannot be a good support system for anyone, let alone her daughter, because she doesn't have any roots to ground herself in. You know, she's constantly looking for love outside of herself, and all the love that we have ever really need lies deep within all of us. She goes and finds a higher power that guides her in the right direction, but she needs time to figure things out. And I will say, I mean, my favorite character outside of Coco and Circus is definitely Maggie. Polar opposite of Pia, Maggie. Maggie is a free spirit man. She is just a woman of just freeness. I mean, she's super confident. And even though Circus left her at the hotel pregnant, I still can't get over that. Still, I'm trying to, still can't get over that. She's like, oh, well, I'm going to do this. She's like, and meanwhile, one particular thing that I absolutely love was she comes to the realization, you know what? I am pregnant. I'm going to have this baby. She looks at one of her friends and is like, sugar, I'm getting ready to have a baby. And just the joy and elation I got from reading that was just pretty cool. But one of the reasons why, the main reason why I like Maggie, because she's one of the few women in uh, Circus's life that gets to call him out on his BS. And she calls him out and by saying, no, that is what you do. You bleed the passion out of something and then you miss it. Very true. He goes from town to town and he just, once he's done with women, he's done with them. And he doesn't really care about the aftermath. Then Circus tries to talk back, but she was like, hey, there's a difference between you and me. And it's never, and me. And the difference is that you never think of yourself responsible for the feelings you stir in people. Oof. I almost threw the book across the room. I'm like, preach! But that was Circus, wanting to stir the emotions and passions of women he's with for a while, then when he's done with them, he's done with them, and he just throws them away. And Maggie calls him out himself. Yeah, and so what Maggie's really trying to get through to him in this is that, you know, how is that working for you? You're still alone, you're still lonely, and it's not doing you any favors. Like, look at you. So, in the end, the result of unrequited love is extreme loneliness, not just for the women, but for Circus himself. But that loneliness does eventually go away by pursuing the only person that he ever truly pulled at his heartstrings. And while he has a great respect for Maggie, 
his heart truly does beat for Coco, his daughter. A daughter's first relationship with a man is with her father. And when that relationship is fractured or non-existent, it is not impossible, but it makes it a lot harder to know what to expect when going into a relationship with men. This relationship is one that ultimately transforms Circus from being a womanizing deadbeat dad to the most caring and compassionate human being by the end. Circus's love for his daughter helped him to see that he's actually capable of love, period. You know, he beats himself a lot about, a lot, because in his mind, he is not the man that he would like to be or he needs to be. Therefore, he can only give superficial signs of affection towards people in his life. Because one, he doesn't love himself. He doesn't feel like he's worthy of being loved. You know, after Pia ran off and went on her journey of self-discovery, he really had to step up and be the father that Coco deserves. No, we the reader can see the completion of how Circus's womanizing ways is when Coco is getting ready to leave for college. He goes into a very depressive state, and Coco initially thinks that because, you know, Odessa, the woman earlier who he had feelings for, had not reached out to try and talk to him. But Coco realizes that in conversation that it's not about another woman, it's about the fact that she's leaving him and he feels lonely again. You know, Coco's love was the main ingredient that cured Circus of need to pursue dead-end relationships. I am a true believer that true love never fails. And that's what Circus experiences with Coco, true love. Love for me is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. This supernatural kind of love is very hard to come by these days. But when it does, please, listener of this podcast, please hold on to it. This is a type of love that will transform the young, naive Coco into the self-aware boss lady that she becomes at the end. You know, the final chapter of the book, that's really her chapter. It's really her now taking the lesson that she learned from her parents and now being able to walk out into the world of self-aware young woman ready to take on all that life has to bring her. Now, the final quote of the book really sums up her journey and sums up the journey of Circus and Coco. You know, that the wind shifted and it sent a chill across her freshly cleaned skin. So that she sensed her own solitude in a way that no longer frightened her. And she walked bare and unhindered toward what was new. In summation, this was a novel that was just so brilliantly written to showcase the lives of complicated individuals who deal with a fairly common people deal with things that fairly common people, everyday people deal with, you know, issues of unrequited love and the loneliness and despair that it brings, but also realizing that, you know what, I don't deserve this type of love and I deserve more. But this is not a sad story. At the end of the novel, each of the characters are all in good spaces and have deeper understanding of themselves and their self-worth. You know, in life, we don't always get everything right, but it was never designed that way. We oftentimes are like bulls in a china shop, you know, doing damage not just to ourselves but those around us. 
once we stop with the excuses or that's just the way I am, which circus does a majority of the time, and start taking responsibility for those damages that we've done due to our own brokenness, that leaves room for growth. So, wow, that was a lot. <laughs> like I said, I just I was so excited reading this book and I just I'm super happy that I was able to share it with you. So uh, we're getting toward the end of the podcast now. So our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from the author of Sweet Slow Plenty Rhythm, Laura Rowe. We write to taste life twice, in the moment and in the retrospective. If there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. You could relive your life, skipping the awful parts without losing what it made it worthwhile. Alright, I will leave you now with that quote to ponder, but once again, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Tanisha's Reading Corner. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed making it. So please, please, please help grow the podcast. Leave a review, rate the episode, and share with family and friends. You can also follow me at Instagram at Tanisha's Reading Corner. Until next time, wishing you all good wellness and good reading.